Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting their website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including Keith Flaw. Keith is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, doing great work when it comes to public education in Florida. We'll visit with Michael Cannon, Director of Healthcare Studies at the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about, uh, I just saw an ad uh, that uh, somehow, some way, Joe Biden is going to lower our premiums for health care. We'll find out about that. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Us Government. And Bill Barnett will be joining us, former mayor of Naples. We'll be talking about what's happening locally here in terms of politics on the Paradise Coast. It is October the 8th, and on this day in 1871, flames sparked the Chicago barn of Patrick and Catherine O'Leary, igniting two-day blaze that killed between 200 and 300 people, destroyed 17,450 buildings, left 100,000 homeless, and caused an estimated $200 million in Today's dollars would be about $3 billion, billion dollars in, uh, in, uh, in damages. Legend has it that the cow kicked over a lantern in the O'Leary barn and started the fire, but other theories hold that humans or even a comet may have been responsible for the event that left four square miles of the Windy City, including its business district, in total ruin. Uh, dry weather and an abundance of wooden buildings, dry streets and sidewalks made Chicago vulnerable to fire. The city averaged two fires a day in 1870. There were 220 fires throughout Chicago the week before the Great Fire in 1871. Despite the fire's devastation, much of Chicago's physical infrastructure, including its water, sewage, transportation systems, remained intact. Uh, Reconstruction efforts began quickly and spurred great economic development and population growth as architects laid the foundation for a modern city featuring the world's first skyscrapers right there in Chicago. At the time of the fire, Chicago's population was approximately 325,000 folks. Within nine years, they were up to 500,000. And by 1893, the city was a major economic and transportation hub with an estimated population of 1.5 million folks. The same year, Chicago was chosen to host the world's Columbian Exposition, a major tourist attraction visited by 27.5 million folks who were approximately half of the U.S. population at the time. O'Leary's Barn. The cow kicked over the lantern in O'Leary's Barn. In 1997, the Chicago City Council exonerated Mrs. O'Leary and her cow. She turned into a recluse after the fire and died in 1895. (laughs) That's the story. Well, 49 people uh, caught COVID-19 apparently yesterday, and two additional died in Collier County, and there were 26 uh, patients in Collier County hospitals uh, uh, yesterday, as of yesterday, seven day average of new cases, about 33. So again, whistling past the graveyard here, but we're hopeful that these low numbers continue in spite of opening up Cuyahoga County schools. Check that, by the way, the uh, schools and uh, no school has more than one or two infected folks. So it's not only it's spread out. There's no, for example, classrooms that have been closed down in Cuyahoga County. So did you watch the debate last night? Well, I was more captured by my dislike of uh, Kamala Harris. I think probably due to her condescending facial expression and outright lies than anything else, I no doubt was influenced by her hypocrisy. 
a record of ignoring the pedophilia in the Catholic Church in San Francisco. Even though her predecessor had started the case, she just totally ignored it, swept it under the rug. She also ignored other heinous crimes and chose to throw lots of folks in jail for minor drug offenses. Then she gets on air and starts talking about smoking marijuana when she was a kid. She's an unbelievable hypocrite. Nevertheless, so that that was my influence, but Republican Vice President Mike Pence and Democrat challenger Kamala Harris sparred over the Trump administration's handling of the pandemic in a debate last night, and that highlighted the party's sharply conflicting visions for the nation in crisis. Uh, The American people have witnessed what is the greatest failure of any presidential administration in the history of our country, she charged at Pence who leads the president's coronavirus task force, he just shook his head. Pence acknowledged, you know, we've gone through a very tough, challenging year, he said. I want the American people to know that from the very first day, President Trump has put the health of the American people first. He said, promising millions of doses of yet-to-be-announced treatment before the end of the year. Ultimately, the primetime meeting was a chance for voters to decide whether Pence or Harris a U.S. senator from California is ready to assume the duties of the president's presidency before the end of the next term. Of course, referencing the fact that both are over the age of 70. I'm talking about the the candidates for president. So uh, there's some, some possibility that one might have to step in if the other wins and dies. So uh, Wednesday's affair had fewer fireworks than the presidential debate one few days ago in which Biden and Donald Trump frequently took talked over one another and traded some personal jabs. Wednesday's debate covered a range of topics on policing and escalating urban unrest over recent racially tinged episodes like the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Harris said justice had not been served in Taylor's death and the grand jury's decision not to indict any of the involved officers for her killing. She said we need to reform our policing in America and our criminal justice system. Boy, she's the last person I want to see doing that based on her record as a district attorney. Pence called out Harris, a former prosecutor, for rejecting the Taylor's grand jury decision based on their view of evidence. With regard to George Floyd, there's no excuse for what happened to him, she say, he said. Justice will be served, but there's also no excuse for rioting and looting that followed. I mean, it really is astonishing, said the v- vice president. Another prominent topic, the issue of uh, the election and transition of power. Trump raising questions about integrity of mail-in balloting has not committed to leaving office based on the tally and outcome. And many in the GOP anticipate it will be taken intervention by their Supreme Court to sort out the pandemic-tinged election this time around. Of course, you may recall, he said the same thing in the last election. Uh, Pence bristled at the notion that there would be any resistance to honoring a fair and honest election. Uh, answered by no- noting that the duration of Trump's first term, Biden and the Democrats, Democrats have sought to overturn the vote that put him in office in the first place. It's true for the last three and a half years. You you name the uh, allegation Trump suffered it, the effort to impeach him, and you could go on. And when you're talking about accepting the outcome of the election, I must tell you, your party has spent the last three and a half years trying to overturn the results of the last election. Pence said, it's amazing when Joe Biden was vice president of the United States, the FBI actually spied on President Trump and my campaign. But for all the other issues raised, the virus was the forefront. Trump released a video just three hours before the debate calling 
his diagnosis of COVID-19 a blessing in disguise because it shed light on an experimental antibody combination that he credited for, for his improved condition, though neither he nor his doctors have a way of knowing whether the drug has actually had an effect. Pence served as chair of the President's Coronavirus Tax Force, uh, while he failed, uh, which he has failed to implement a comprehensive national strategy, even as Trump himself recovers from the disease and the national death toll surges past 210,000 with no end in sight. That's her point of view. The candidate appeared on stage for exactly uh, 12.25 feet uh, apart and separated by plexiglass barriers. Both candidates, of course, the optics of that are that we're in serious uh, trouble with coronavirus. Of course, the president's trying to deliver a totally different message as he walked out of the hospital. So uh, that was the debate, in my opinion. Kamala Harris came off as uh, condescending, as she lied, and uh, she's she's a hypocrite. Of course, I, again, I'm influenced by what I've seen in the past, but irrespective, I thought Pence handled Harris uh, in a, a handily, quite frankly. By the way, a report released on Wednesday by a Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget estimates that Democrat presidential nominee Joe Biden's proposed policies would increase taxes by about $4.3 trillion over the 10 years, while President Trump's would decrease tax revenue for the government by about $1.7 trillion, even as Biden's overall fiscal agenda would likely increase the federal deficit more than Trump's. So, uh, she, she said, oh boy, uh, he's not going to increase taxes. Well, it says right on his website, yeah, he's going to, he's going to reverse the Trump uh, tax cuts from this uh, past term. A lie. Just absolute lie. U.S. stocks rose sharply Wednesday after President Trump tweeted support for aids to airlines and other stimulus measures, stoking hope that a smaller aid package could be passed by lawmakers. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 530 points. And, of course, reversing some of the losses in the past week. In a series of tweets Tuesday night, Trump urged Congress to approve airline payroll support, saying that money and aid for small business could be paid with the unused funds from the previous stimulus. Trump also pushed for another round of $1,200 stimulus checks for Americans. And, by the way, if you're not aware, it's not being covered by the mainstream media, but uh, Joe Biden is now the subject of an active federal criminal investigation in his role in a in a probe directed at the Trump's 2016 campaign. Biden was in a January 5th, 2017 secret Oval Office meeting discussing General Flynn's phone calls with Russian Ambassador Kislyak with Obama, Yates, Comey, Rice and Brennan. And seven days later, he sought to unmask Flynn. Then Vice President Joe Biden sought to unmask General Flynn on January the 12th, 2017, the same day David Ignatius published his Washington Post article about Flynn's communications with uh, Sergei Kislyak. This is going to be, this is a hot story. The press can't ignore this. He's under a criminal investigation running as President of the United States. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Keith Law, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. 
Hi, I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Great series of productions coming up this season, so I hope you'll visit the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Healthcare Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us Keith Law. Keith is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, we're a, a not-for-profit organization that's been fighting uh, to, to improve the education system here in Florida for our kids uh, for many years now. Um, kind of, I think it's over eight. Yeah, it um, is. Yeah, uh, we uh, we fight we fight to get rid of the indoctrination in our schools. Uh, we played a major role in getting rid of Common Core standards and replacing them with some really good standards. And uh, one of the things we're working on right now with the DOE is the civics, uh, new civic standards they're writing. So doing some exciting things. Absolutely. I recall I was at the very first meeting of the Florida Citizens Alliance, and it was over eight years ago. And I'm just so amazed to see how far you guys have come and what you've accomplished uh, with uh, having major influence, I think, in Tallahassee for the good for for uh, kids in public schools in Florida. So, uh, go to GoFLCA is the website. GoFLCA.org is the website. GoFLCA.org. So, I understand you had a big event last night. Yeah, we had a huge event last night uh, with Tanish D'Souza. Uh He just put, uh, actually it's officially hitting the shelves on on uh, Friday. He's released his new uh, DVD. Uh, it's called Trump Card, 
And it talks about, I mean, it's all, all focused on socialism. And uh, and he also has a book out, The U.S. of Socialism. So um, he did a fabulous job last night. Uh, for your listeners, uh, we announced this uh, maybe six weeks ago. Uh, it was held at Seed to Table, and we sold out uh, 222 tickets in f- four days. Wow. Uh, we had a, we had 130 people on the wait list. Uh, we decided to go ahead and, and offer them the opportunity to live stream it and have their own D'Souza party uh, for 49 bucks. And uh, about 25 people took us up on that. So uh, it was really a, a, a great evening. Um, people were really impressed with uh, D'Souza's message on socialism. And uh, so success all the way around. Yeah, you know, I, I just, Dinesh D'Souza, I think, is a real hero in so many different ways. He's one of America's political prisoners. He's actually thrown in federal prison for uh, making over-contributing to a campaign uh, candidate in Chicago, in the Chicago area. So he had, ended up going to prison and teaching all the... the uh, inmates there about uh, free markets and uh, free enterprise and freedom <laughs> he's quite a yeah. guy he's unbelievable yeah well we uh we did videotape the event and we're going to make it available uh, we'll ask for a ten dollar nominal donation but we'll make it available on our website in a couple of days well i'm looking forward to see it i will definitely uh, be looking for that so uh any other good scoop going on with education yeah we had a really exciting win um this week in, in our view um, Monday morning, uh, we had arranged for Dinesh to do a uh, interview with Drew Steele, and I chimed in about 15 minutes early, and I was listening to Drew uh, to tell us about a plan that the, the uh, Lee County School Board had on this most recent Tuesday. They had on the agenda they had a resolution to make um, the month of October LGBTQ History Month. Um, hmm. When when we heard that, uh, bells started going off. Uh, we wrote a letter that very morning to the the, the uh, whole school board and the superintendent saying that if you do this, uh, be advised that you have to notify every one of your 96,000 students that are eligible for the Hope Scholarship. They withdrew the resolution. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, and what, uh, tell us why they would be eligible for the, uh, for the Hope Scholarship. Hope Scholarship was an amazing uh, new law that's been passed. Uh, it's a couple of years old. But basically what it says is it puts the parent in charge and, and it includes threat, intimidation, and harassment on anything, literally anything. So if you're a parent and you believe that your child's being threatened by that or intimidated by that, then all you have to do is go to the state website, print out a one-page form, check the box that says intimidation, and they have the school district has absolutely zero legal authority to tell you you don't qualify. Wow! And you co- qualify for up to an eight thousand dollars scholarship per year to send your child to a private school. So it uh, it was pretty interesting. Uh, it turned around very quickly. Yeah. But it was uh, uh, an interesting use of the the scholarship to you know to have some influence yeah, yeah congratulations keith i think i think that's terrific and i think more parents should be aware of the hope scholarship i'm sh- i'm quite certain that it's not being announced in public schools right now by the administration or the or the teachers so so uh, for sure i understand you've got a big event planned for uh, february yeah we announced it last night and it's available now on our website uh it's our big annual fundraiser at the naples grand uh we're bringing in uh, three really top-notch celebrities. Uh, most of your listeners, I think, would recognize Alveda King. Mm. Um, and we're bringing in uh, Senator uh, Jim DeMint, who used to be with Heritage and and 
actually was concerned they weren't conservative enough and has now started his own conservative organization. And then uh, I'm excited to, to, to bring in, uh, and most of your listeners probably won't connect the dots here, uh, General Jerry Boykin. Uh, General Boykin was the uh, Delta Force commander in Black Hawk Down as a full colonel wow. uh, and and he rose to be a three-star general until obama relieved him for differences of opinion surprise uh he's uh, now an executive director with family research council and he's a pastor um so uh, he's very focused on education and improving education all three of them are so we're really excited uh, to bring all three of them in it'll be a a gala um you know dinner like we did for Bongino last year so it's going to be uh, february the 10th looking forward to it i we will be there for sure and uh, again uh, just doing such exciting things for kids in public schools uh, making a big difference keith again keith law co-founder of the florida citizens Alliance. you can go to goflca.org and you've also got a a website to uh, keep parents informed about what's going on uh, uh it's completely designed for parents and it's meant to be a hub for parents to learn about how to school uh, where and how to homeschool if they choose uh, where and how to apply for these various scholarships um, we're in the process of adding a lot of individual parental stories which i think will make it exciting and uh, uh, you know we're just really excited about the the opportunity to tailor our outreach to uh, parents all uh, right again is the website Yes. LibertyScholar.org. Keith, always appreciate your commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you, Keith. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Cannon. He is the Director of Healthcare Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. 
a 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board, and I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Michael Cannon. He is the health director of healthcare studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure, Michael. For our listeners' benefit, tell us about the Cato Institute. The Cato Institute is a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. We've been around since 1977. Uh, we're neither Republican nor Democrat, nor, nor left nor right. We support individual liberty in all areas, meaning you have a right to live your life however you want, so long as you respect the equal rights of others. And the government should be protecting you from force and fraud, but otherwise should leave you alone to live your life the way that you want. You wouldn't think that these would be controversial ideas, but in Washington, D.C., they are. Boy, we certainly drifted away from that, haven't we? Especially in the area of health care. Now, Michael, last night the vice presidential candidates had their debate. Health care was an important part of the discussion. Any thoughts and observations? Yeah, so there's... Some interesting parts of the debate uh, on health policy, I thought that uh, Kamala Harris landed some punches on Vice President Pence when uh, she uh, pressed him on the coronavirus. Uh, I think the moderator did uh, as well. Uh, But I don't think that uh, Vice President Pence pushed Kamala Harris hard enough on her and Joe Biden's support for a government-run health care system. That's interesting. I think that that they're really... uh, Policy mistakes and misjudgments and disasters on both sides here. Although the uh, uh, the disaster of government-run healthcare is not as widely recognized as the disaster of the government's handling of the coronavirus. So interesting. As before, as the show came on, I was watching a Biden commercial saying he's going to lower healthcare premiums. Where have we heard that before? Before, and he's also talking about 156 million folks are going to be without uh, coverage if if uh, Trump gets elected. So, I mean, the stories are just unbelievable. What are your thoughts? So that is, that is an interesting argument that Joe Biden makes. 150 million Americans have pre-existing conditions and won't have the protections that the Affordable Care Act provides if Donald Trump gets his way. The problem of pre-existing, you know, he's talking about 150 million Americans with illnesses who are, or, or you know, some uh, medical condition, who are in employer-sponsored plans. And the reason that they don't have secure long-term access to care is that the government forces them into employer-sponsored plans. The government says, we're going to tax you more, effectively penalize you, unless you enroll in a type of health insurance that disappears when your job does. Yeah. So... So Joe Biden wants people, wants the federal government to rescue these people from a problem the federal government created, only the, the rescue plan is no better than the, 
then the tax penalties put people in these insecure forms of health insurance in the first place. Uh, not, and neither the president uh, nor Joe Biden are trying to solve that problem of the, the government penalizing people unless they enroll in insecure coverage that can leave them with an uninsured pre-existing condition. Yeah, is it possible, Michael, just to scrap the whole thing and start over? I mean, <laughs> to me, from where I sit now, I'm on uh, Medicare with, with a Medicare supplement uh, program. So, I'm, I, you know, I'm a little different. I'm out of touch with how uh, uh, people who are working right now or working age uh, get their insurance. Uh, but nevertheless, I mean, it seems to me the whole thing is so convoluted. Why can't we just start over? Well, there are about 100 or 150 million reasons why we can't start over. They're the people in those employer plans with expensive medical conditions who might have a hard time finding insurance if that employer coverage goes away. Yeah. And so we got to be very careful about how we do this. Part of me wants to say, you know, uh, uh, wants to do what you suggest. Just eliminate all of these uh, government uh, interventions uh, in the health sector all at once without any regard to transition issues and how it affects people in the short term, because in the long term, people will be much healthier, wealthier, uh, hopefully wiser. However, there are ways to get to that point where we have a much lower cost, higher quality health sector while kind of protecting people in the, in the transition and we've talked about this before. I think the number one thing we can do is take the, the money that employers are spending on employee health benefits and give it to the workers. They earned it. It's actually part of their earnings. And it's more than the federal government spends on Medicare every year. It's $700 billion. Mm. If we give that to them, then uh, they're going to start uh, spending that money differently because it's their money instead of their employers. They're going to demand price information. They're going to demand lower prices and prices are going to come down so far that those hundred, 150 million people with, uh, with employer plans with medical conditions are going to see the, 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 the care they need become so much more affordable that all other transition issues get much, much easier because we're bringing healthcare within the reach of, uh, those of the vulnerable, including the sick and the poor. And and then we can make the sort of transition that you want to do into a system where we do get rid of all of these uh, government interventions. And the same is, uh, the, the, the same approach can work in Medicare as well. Yeah. Why do you have to sign up for either this government-defined package of uh, health insurance benefits or... Uh, enroll in one of these private Medicare Advantage plans where, where the government, again, rigidly defines what kind of benefits you're going to get, how the insurance companies are going to deliver those benefits to you. Uh, and and it, it not, you know, incidentally, uh, the Medicare Advantage program encourages those insurance companies to skimp on care for the very sick. Yeah. So uh, Medicare should just be giving you the money it was going to spend on you uh, anyway, Bob, and let you spend it. You'll do a much better job than either the government or the insurance company. So let me, let me see if I can summarize and play back to you what you just said, because it's, it's, a, it's a handful. Uh, first of all, what I think you referenced is the fact is if, in fact, they just gave the money to us and we started making our own health care decisions uh, by virtue of having choices among uh, people who are providing health care uh, services uh, that would uh, that would create competition. It would drive down prices and drive down costs, 
Uh, and it also, also, I would imagine, create innovation among insurers who uh, would try to figure out a way to capture premium dollars and provide greater service. That's right. We'll see innovation across the board in insurance, in the delivery of health care, yeah. in, in helping people understand their health care options. Right now, we, the, the health care sector doesn't invest nearly as much as it should in just explaining your health care options to you in, in a way that uh, educates you about the, the, the likely outcomes of different procedures and treatments. Uh, or the cost of those procedures. Yeah. And the reason we don't get that sort of innovation is because the wrong people are controlling the money. The system is serving the government and the special interests who control it and the employers and the insurance companies. It's not serving the patients because they're not the ones controlling the money. And if we let them control the money, then we'll get all of this sort of innovation. So interesting. Now, the president said he's issued an executive order saying it will be the policy of the United States government to co- cover pre-existing conditions uh, when it comes to insurance. That's a pretty uh, bold proclamation. Does it have any teeth? I hope not. Uh, and the reason is twofold. One, the president doesn't have the authority to just declare the federal government will, uh, will pay for the health care of people with pre-existing conditions. If Barack Obama had just declared that, well, the right would be uh, up in arms. Yeah. They would they would be decrying this as executive overreach. But when it's when it's the, the right president, you know, they don't mind so much because hey, he's our guy. Uh, and and the other reason I'm very concerned about it is because Obamacare shows that it doesn't. The federal government doesn't do a very good job. I mean, yeah. the the Congress did enact a law saying the federal government was going to do what Donald Trump is saying. And the federal government, and that's, that's Obamacare, and Obamacare does not do a very good job uh, of providing secure access to care for people with expensive conditions. Yeah. Obamacare denies coverage to the sick yeah. in some circumstances. Obamacare denies care to the sick in some circumstances. And in order for Obamacare to work, Obamacare supporters think they have to throw people out of their health plan including people who are sick and leave them with no insurance in many circumstances. So this is not the right approach. And, uh, I, I, you know, Donald Trump seems to suffer from the same ailment as many Republicans, which is they just neglect this issue. They don't, they don't do health care. And so he just goes off and says things that, uh, I wish, he would give a little more consideration because uh, this is not the right approach. Well, quite frankly, I think it was uh, he was more concerned, I think, with the election than he was concerned about health care policy when he made that uh, executive order. So I think it's, and he was looking towards November. In any event, Michael, I really appreciate your clarifying these issues. It's refreshing to have a conversation around policy as opposed to politics. Genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Thank you so much. And again, Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I could only imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very, very best, and also bringing you a new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Less government watching a big ship go by. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Are you out there on your veranda watching? I'm in I'm, 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 I'm my little uh, corner of, of uh, Goodland watching a big boat. It's not a ship. It's a boat. Yeah. But it's a, it's a pretty big, bowed, enclosed. You know, the, the, the captain's enclosed. It's not out the doors. It's some kind of professional fishing message, yeah. uh, vessel. I know so little, I can't possibly identify what kind. <laughs> okay. Well, Seton, uh, did you watch the debate last night? I watched it for about 20 minutes, and then I bailed and watched Lakefront Bargain Hunt instead. <laughs> now, tell us why. Uh, I'm, I'm tired of the, I'm tired of the uh, moderators. They should... They, they should have two moderators for each debate, one from a liberal think tank, one from a conservative think tank. Uh, all the, uh, you, two things would happen. One, half the questions would actually make sense and be from a conservative perspective. And two, the average viewer would go, wow, the liberal think tank's questions sound just like the media's questions. Yeah. Um, every question is framed in a liberal from a liberal bent. And then, of course, it's the, it's the subject selection. Uh, Biden's corruption wasn't mentioned. Harris's corruption wasn't mer- mentioned. Climate change was. So, yeah. you know, it's just, I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. You know, 
<laughs> I, I'm, I'm not at the Media Research Center anymore, which that's been 10 years plus. So I don't have to analyze it to, to beat the crap out of the moderator. Uh, besides, everybody does that now anyway. I don't need to watch them to inform my vote because I've already, you know, I'm, my mind's pretty made up. Um, so uh, why am I subjecting myself to this 90 minutes of water torture? <laughs> Good point, Kissy Seaton. So, hey, listen, uh, you've been talking a lot about Oracle and what's going on with the Supreme Court. And apparently, uh, there's going to be a day of reckoning. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's eight, it's eight justices, right, rather than nine. So you can conceivably have a tie. And Justice Ginsburg was actually pretty good at intellectual property, which this case entails. Huh. So, um what, what's happened is it's, it's been 10 years now uh, that this lawsuit has been going on. It's finally it had its day in court, in the Supreme Court yesterday. It's had previous days in court. Um, and basically, it's, it's Google stole 11,500 lines of Java code, which is a type of software, um, to, to build Android, which is the world's number one mobile operating system. Um, they did not pay Oracle the, for the privilege. They, they, you're supposed to li- you get a license from Google, I mean from Oracle, mm-hmm. to use the Java code. And, and they were in negotiations for it, and they stopped. And then they just released the Android anyway. My favorite, my favorite was, there's an email during uh, Google building Android from the lead engineer that says, we've tried everything besides using the Java code, and all the other options suck. And I'm quoting him, suck. Uh, so we have to get a license for Java. He said this in the email that became part of the court thing. So uh, to me, I don't understand how it's taken 10 years and you had to go to the Supreme Court. The engineer building Android said, yeah, we have to get a license for Java. So, you know, it, it, uh, uh, Oracle Witness 1, Your Honor, I'd like to call Google's engineer. Yeah. Um, or just you read know, the email. So here's the here's the thing. I mean, you say that you can't believe it's taken ten years, but who can believe what's happened to Mike, to Michael Flynn? <laughs> is, oh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been in court for ten years. It's amazing. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, my 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 point being is that justice should be fair and and, and uh, blind, but it certainly is not in the American it's not, justice system. It's not, and, and, and of course, you have these leftist judges that love Google, and so they they they, they rule in their uh, thing. But here's the thing. It, oh, the dog's barking at an osprey. Sorry. No worries. Um, if if um, if it's a four four tie, the tie goes to Oracle because Google appealed to the Supreme Court looking to overturn a lower court ruling in Google in Oracle's favor. So if it goes to a tie. Um, Oracle has uh, Oracle has the upper hand because they won the last round. Yeah, in, of in this the, back and forth in the appeals court. So, all right. Yes. So uh, the the Supreme Court has announced its uh, schedule, and it's announced that this case is oh, one it, of it, one of the they first. They argued it yesterday. They argued it yesterday. They did. So uh, yeah, it was, it was October seventh. Yeah, it was yesterday. Any insight and, to what um, what happened there? Well. The, or Google's making the two ridiculous arguments. One is they're saying if you don't let us steal this, people won't create stuff for us to steal. <laughs> I like it. They're actually <laughs> arguing that their ability to create is relies on stealing stuff from other people who created it. Hmm. And if you stop them from doing it, people will stop creating, which is really, I mean, 
it's like a guy, you know, a guy steals your wallet and your car, and you catch him, and you go to court, and judge, and you, he tells the, the jury, if you don't let me keep this money and this car, people won't earn money for me to steal in the future. Sounds like a I pretty mean, weak case. Sounds like a very weak case. That's one weak case, and the other weak case is in copyright law, fair use. They're claiming they have fair use of Java's ones and zeros. The fair use definition in copyright law, I don't have it in front of me, it's a very short paragraph, and it's all entirely about the use of the English language, like excerpting, and this happens all the time on the Internet. You, you know, you, I, like I, when I wrote the piece, I excerpted uh, the definition of copyright law right. because I'm using it to advance a news story or commentary or something like that. There is no way you can read the definition of copyright law and say, as Java said, one zero one one zero zero one one zero. You know, there's no, <laughs> there's no. It makes no sense at all, right? To right. say that that the fair use covers lines of code, computer code. It's absurd. It's an absurd argument. And yet here we are in front of the Supreme Court. Yeah. So, so Seton, have you any insight to the questions and the comments being made by the justices? Because that's where I the read, real. I read some. Roberts led a lot of the questioning. He's the Chief Justice, and he, you know, it often depends on what Roberts has for breakfast that morning yeah. as to how he's going to decide a case that later that day. Unfortunately, um, he sounded like. But you know, he does this all the time. It's hard to say because I mean, these guys are, you know. For the most part, I'd say a couple of them are not of uh, smart guys who do the Socratic method, right? Yeah. Where Socrates would argue the opposite side of his position to fl- to not only flesh out the argument itself, but to flesh out his thinking on the argument. Yeah. So- and so you can never. I mean, uh, uh, Roberts could spend the whole day asking questions that sound like he's with Oracle. But really, he's with Google, and he's just fleshing out the other side. Yeah, so this, um, question, this question I have is, uh, are they going to hold off the announcement of the decision on this case until June, or are they going to announce it, do you think? I, I never know how they do these things. Sometimes they decide, sometimes they don't. Yeah. Um, a lot of the industry is, where, is, is, you know, there's a lot of industry interest in this case. So they may expedite, you know, release of their decision, uh, because a lot of, I mean, there, there are a lot of, Friends of the court briefs and amicus is filed from everybody. You know the, the contingent of thieves filed in favor of Google. Yeah. Um, See, the, this is for our listeners' benefit. This is a big deal because it's it gets right to the heart of protecting intellectual property. I mean, we got the problems with China, all kinds of things. We got those problems happening right here in the United States. So, see, now, Google's the biggest thief this side of. Uh, Communist China. Yeah, so, they are our China. Yeah, so yeah. I just I just genuinely appreciate you bringing these issues to our attention, Seton. Again, lessgovernment.org is the website, or you can visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. All right, my pleasure indeed. Come up, we're going to be visiting with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> 